0: Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve
1: here. And today I'm talking with John Ewing, the president of MFA, which stands for Math for America. We're focused on the organization which supports math and science teachers, uh, challenges that teachers are facing, and support for teachers in this remote world. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy.
0: You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12 podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams and now here's steve with this week's show
1: John Ewing joined MFA Math for America in early 2009 as president. Before joining MFA, Ewing served as executive director of the American Mathematical Society for nearly 14 years. With a staff of over 200 employees and four offices and over 32,000 members, the AMS is a major publisher of mathematics research and the largest mathematics research society in the world. John previously was professor of mathematics at Indiana University from 73 to 1995, where he also served as chair of the department for two terms. He has held visiting positions in the mathematics departments of Dartmouth College, the University of Virginia, and the Newcastle University, as well as others. In, In addition to his research work, John has been active in mathematical exposition, both as writer and editor, winning several national awards. In recent years, he has also written extensively on scholarly and electronic publishing. In 1966, John Ewing received his BS from St. Lawrence University, which also awarded him an honorary degree in 1996, and received his MS and PhD from Brown University in 1971. Today, we're talk about remote teaching resources a little bit, as well as MFA, Math for America. John, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone.
0: Thanks very much for the nice introduction. I barely recognize myself. <laughs> I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, John, gl- glad to have you here. And uh, let's start by sharing with listeners who are unfamiliar with the organization. What is MFA and what does the MFA model represent?
0: So Math for America, which we call MFA, um, is a fellowship program for math and science teachers. And actually, we have as many science teachers as we do math teachers, which is why we call it MFA and try to avoid the math part. (laughs) Uh, It's a four-year fellowship. It's renewable. Uh, Teachers have to apply. And there's a very rigorous application process and selection process. Um, and if they if they join the community, they um, they come into the community and they interact with one another. So they take they take workshops, they give workshops. Um, we offer this semester alone, uh, we're offering over five hundred different two-hour workshops here. Most of them are organized into courses, you know, two or three hooked together. Um, about two thirds of those are done by the teachers themselves. So this is really driven by the teachers. And they're on math or science or pedagogy or issues of equity or, right now, issues about distance learning. And so almost anything that you can imagine that a teacher would be interested in professionally. for them, it brings them together into this community, and it kind of changes teaching for them. They they work with one another, they exchange ideas, they talk to one another, um, and it just it makes teaching feel more professional. Um, in addition, they get a fifteen thousand dollar stipend every single year for participating in the community. It's it's a lot of work, um, and uh, but I think the this group of teachers who are just spectacularly talented, um, really reinforce one another. By the way, that's about 10% of the teachers in New York City. I didn't say it before, but so this is right now a program for New York City teachers. um, uh, And and the idea is to sort of make teaching exciting for them, make it feel professional, make it feel like it's, you know, something that they really wanna do. New York state runs a program that's almost the same size in the rest of New York state. So that's another thousand teachers. We have a thousand in New York city, uh, and we're hoping to get it in other places. LA has a program that's sort of about the same. The main thing about it is it's meant for teachers who are truly accomplished.
1: That's awesome. And, What's what would you say is a key differentiator between MFA and other teacher-focused organizations?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I, 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 I think of course, organizations that are focused on teachers come in every imaginable flavor. So I, I don't mean to say that they're all like this, but, but an awful lot of them focus on teachers that need something. They they are teachers that are struggling in the classroom or teachers that need to do better on classroom management or need to upgrade their content knowledge or things. Math for America doesn't set out to do any of those things. In fact, we quite deliberately choose teachers who are already fully accomplished, who really, really know the craft of teaching and know their subject well. Um, So we're, we're focusing on people that don't need fixing. These are not teachers that need repair in any sense. They're They're teachers who already are great at what they're doing. That doesn't mean they can't get better, right? I mean, that's in any profession. The idea, even the best practitioners of a profession need to get better, want to get better. In fact, that's partly what makes them the best. Um, So they do get better by working together, but we're really focused on building a community and changing the profession, making it feel different.
1: That's cool. I, I I know. Like I've watched videos of the teachers working together and stuff like this at different, uh, um, you know, obviously pre-COVID type <laughs> things. <laughs> yes. But uh, um, it's it's awesome. I, I, it's just such a neat uh, feeling for anybody who's ever been a teacher, getting a chance to work in a collaborative manner. Um, it, it's it's a neat feeling if you've never had that, and uh, then to to see that this is how you you know you're supporting them and in, in pursuing. Uh, like you said, they're they've already shown that they have. You know, they're good teachers and they're, um, you know, they're working to do better, learn more, and uh, keep moving forward. I love that. So what are your thoughts? Let's let's talk a little bit about where we are right now. <laughs> um, you know, what are your thoughts on school reopening plans across the country?
0: <laughs> well, um, let's see, this is a family podcast, I guess, so <laughs> yes. I have to be careful how I say this. Um, I, I, you know, the, the main problem with school reopening plans um, is that they haven't been very, very well thought out. I mean, it's sort of a tragedy in this country that we we had the summer, the whole summer, to sort of think about how schools would we reopen and what we would be doing and, and as I look around the country, I just see district after district where they didn't really get down to thinking deeply about this until a few weeks before school was scheduled to reopen again. Now it's a very hard problem. Um, the, the The problem is, I mean, I think um, parents and students really desperately want to get back to school. They want to get back to normal. Uh, It's very difficult to do that in the current environment. Um, So you have to to figure out how to do something that approximates what real reopening would look like. Um, And it's going to vary from place to place. It's going to change. But in most places that I see, they came up with some screwball plan to sort of do some hybrid opening where kids go back a few days a week, sometimes not even for the full day. Um, the schedule changes week by week in many cases when outbreaks occur as they inevitably will. no, you don't need to be a genius to see that outbreaks of COVID are gonna occur. Um, schools suddenly shut down. This surely doesn't help parents in terms of making a schedule so that they can get back to work. So that's the, the first thing is that this really doesn't solve A fundamental problem that faced everybody, but it also doesn't help kids. I mean, I'm not sure that kids are learning any better in this kind of new environment, especially in strange classrooms where they perhaps don't move around or they're in different configurations. And finally, it surely doesn't help teachers because teachers can't plan when you have schedules that, or, you know, arrangements that are being made at the last minute like this and that are changing all the time. Uh, I, I'm just really disappointed. I think that somehow the administrators of schools districts around the country have mainly not, not all but mainly really failed the, their communities here by not planning more carefully.
1: Gotcha. You know, it's, it's interesting because I know um, I, I was having this discussion. I actually have had this discussion quite a bit lately about thinking if I was a kid now versus me as a kid um, when I was in high school, and I, I was a kid who did well in school, could have done a little bit better if I hadn't procrastinated so much. <laughs> but I but I benefited from having two parents who would say, stop whining, sit down and get your work done. And, you know, and so I think that I probably would survive through this fairly well, um, because of my own push or the outside push on me as well to get stuff done. But it, and then of course, then the the higher kids, the ones even more so above me have that real drive i I could see them doing well i real curious about the ones I mean what do you think about this the one, you know the kids who are in the those brackets uh, you know about mid midway and uh, you know down to struggling completely behind i mean i w- I would think they would we're going to have to have like a two year window here where we 're really trying to get kids caught up. I mean, what do you think about that
0: yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the learning loss philosophy here only because that's not my idea of education. I don't, I don't think education is a matter of taking kids and moving them through schools and pouring some education substance into them every single day. And by the end of the year, it's reached the top of the vessel and you know, everything's okay. So I, I, I think kids are resilient. And um, when all of this is done, and it will be done eventually, but not for a, quite a while yet, but it will be done. Kids will come out of this. They'll be okay. Kids can, uh, kids c- can survive things like this. But you're absolutely right that the, there are lots of kids who live in families where they don't get the kind of support that they need to, to be able to do distance learning, for example, at home, where they may not even have an internet connection. That's another issue. They may not have computers or iPads or anything else, but mainly they don't, they don't have the kind of parental support or family support that would, would help them to learn. Uh, and that's a tragedy. And here in New York City, I mean, it's a huge tragedy. Out, out of a million kids, 100 to 200,000 of them are in that kind of situation. There are tens of thousands of kids who live in homeless shelters right now. So it's really hard for them to su- survive in this. Here's the thing, that's a huge problem and we should be solving it. But the hybrid model of just putting kids in school a few days a week, that doesn't solve it. That's not a solution, Uh, nor, nor does it solve the other problem that people talked about early on. Schools do many more things than just educate, right? They provide meals for kids, they provide a safe environment, they provide health care in many cases. So there again, the the hybrid model doesn't solve that. I mean, maybe it does on Monday and Wednesday, but it doesn't Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So instead of solving that problem for all those kids who are really disadvantaged, we came up with these sort of half-baked ideas uh, that, that aren't really solving it. These are, I'm not saying it's easy. It wouldn't be easy to solve any of these problems, but it can be done. We're, we're America, for God's sakes. I mean, we, we need to put our, our effort and our minds into solving those problems and serving those kids, the disadvantaged kids especially, but all kids, better. And we need to be creative. And I think part of the problem was, you could excuse this in the spring, because in the spring, we closed schools and businesses and everything else very suddenly in March. All of a sudden, it closed right at the beginning, everybody always made two week plans. I don't know why two weeks, but maybe it was the old fortnight, right? <laughs> so every, we we're gonna do this for the next two weeks and then we're gonna decide what to do next. And then we're gonna do this for the next two weeks and then we're gonna decide. And that happened until sometime in late April. And then people got the idea that we were, well, we're gonna do this until July maybe. And then, but you know, by now we should have learned that this isn't a two week problem. This is gonna go on for months. Maybe Mm -hmm. the next year. And we should have been finding solutions to these problems to help disadvantaged kids to stay connected, to stay engaged, to figure out ways, clever ways to get meals to them. In many cities, including New York, they did. It wasn't insoluble. You could figure out how to open up a subset of schools to distribute meals to kids and things. We can solve these problems. We just haven't put our mind to it. And that's that's the real tragedy here, is that we're not really solving the real problems.
1: Gotcha. I appreciate you talking about that. Yeah. You know, one of the things I want to kind of focus this on is, is this, um, you know, there are over a thousand teachers in the MFA community. What are some of the biggest challenges they've shared with uh, you or the others in MFA community about uh, this new era of remote teaching and learning? I mean, what are they talking about is driving them nuts?
0: <laughs> That's the biggest problem is driving them nuts. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, the number one problem is that they they could not plan because they didn't know until the last minute here. here uh, this is a particular problem in New York City, although I, I think it's occurred in many other places as well, that, that the plans didn't come together until the last minute here in New York. They came together and then they got delayed twice before they actually opened the schools back up in some new arrangement. Uh, Nobody knew how the teachers were going to be assigned. Nobody, they didn't know exactly whether they'd be doing mainly distance learning or whether they'd be in the class some of the time. They didn't know whether they'd have to do the distance learning from their classrooms, which, by the way, for teachers who have families, have little kids at home, was a huge problem because they they didn't know whether they had to make arrangements for childcare, for example. So um, it it just it just wasn't wasn't clear. And you can't do a good job if you don't plan. Teaching is is requires planning, um, requires foresight. So that's the n- number one thing. The other is of what the problem that you already mentioned that everybody, every teacher that I know talks about the students who've gotten lost in the shuffle here, the ones who. Became disengaged from education and who, um, you know, that, and that they didn't sign on, for example, for days at, at a time, maybe for weeks at a time. And they just got lost in the system and there needed to be a way to reach them, but each individual teacher couldn't do that. And finally, I, I will just say I, I don't know of a teacher that says, you know, boy, this is great. I'm, I'm now teaching at home. Uh, by the way, many of them are in school now in the fall here in New York City. They Even if they're doing distance learning, they're supposed to do it from their classroom. But um, they all work, I mean, the, the the amount of time it takes to engage kids and parents and prepare for the next day and correct, I mean, work on assessment in the evening. And I mean, people are working phenomenal hours here, 14, 15, 16 hours a day trying to keep up with all of the thing, all, all the things that are going on in an environment that's constantly changing, where schools occasionally close. Um, it's pretty tough, pretty discouraging. Um, and the final thing I'd say is that, you know, it's not there, you, you, you read some op-eds and things that, praise teachers for the tough job they have. But you also read op-eds that talk about, you know, why don't teachers just suck it in and get into school and get things done and open schools full-time? And um, it's pretty demoralizing to read stuff like that. I I don't think the general population fully appreciates how much effort has gone into trying to get schools back opened up in at least a reasonable way.
1: Oh, I totally agree with you. I think there's a lack of completely understanding the number of things that have to kind of come together without lots of outside interference, you know, where the comments made that kind of, you know, like you said, just interfere with how the the teacher even just feels about uh, wanting to be there. So uh, how how do you think, John, how do you, I mean how can schools policymakers and the government help teachers right now? I mean and can you talk a little bit about what MFA is doing to support teachers during this?
0: Yeah, of course it's um, ironically the the best thing we can do to support teachers is to give them an environment in which they can support one another. So that's that's one of the one of the greatest advantages of MFA is that we've got this thousand teachers, highly accomplished teachers from from all different kinds of schools by the way i mean these come from the most elite schools as well as the schools that are struggling somewhere in out in the in the other boroughs um but um but bringing those teachers together and giving them a venue in which they can talk to one another about the problems that they're facing and the solutions that they've found and what they're trying and has is Gives them a huge advantage. Um, I've I've often said that teaching is one of the loneliest of professions. That always shocks people sometimes because they think you know you go into a school and you got all these kids around you and other teachers and people see movies with kids all over the place and uh, and teachers talking to one another. Well, in real life, that's not the way education works. Teachers stand in a classroom and are pretty isolated most of the time. In COVID. They are completely isolated. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for teachers to solve problems by talking to other people when they're working 12 hours a day and, uh, and they're not really in contact with other people. So, um, so we give them that venue. We've done other things, of course. We gave them some extra money. We, we have things called flex funds, which we give them to buy school supplies and things like that. Right away, when all of this happened, We gave them some extra money to buy extra computing equipment at home. Not every teacher has a great home computing environment. Um, There's a project out there right now. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's to give every teacher a second monitor. Uh, This sounds a little funny at first, but when you think about it, if, if you can hook your computer up to two monitors, then it makes life amazingly easy. Or easier for you as a teacher because you've got one thing on which you can see content and the other where you can see your students and um, so giving giving people extra screens is really a help but m- mainly it's it's the support we can give people by just helping them to um, to talk to one another and share ideas and finally this this summer we ran after the spring experience we, we ran a big a, a big event uh, during the summer to give teachers a chance to sort of share ideas about about what they what they learned in remote learning and what they were planning to do this fall and um so we put together a little a little web page for them to to share those ideas about remote learning uh, but it's the teachers that help one another it's not us
1: that's that's so cool and i, I appreciate you sharing it and, and this, this is going to lead Perfectly into into what I want to ask you next, which which has to do with, you know, what examples have teachers shared with you about remote teaching successes? You know, we've talked about concerns and challenges. Let's let's talk about some of those successes if we could.
0: Yeah, well, um, so th- there are a lot. I mean, if, if if people get a chance, they can go to the Math for America webpage. page. Uh, from the homepage, you'll you'll see a, a link to a remote learning section where you can get some, some examples and sort of read about things. Um, I think teachers, teachers struggled a lot right in the beginning about how to balance synchronous and asynchronous learning. I mean, how to balance FaceTime with students against just giving students work. Um, I, I think a lot of teachers have found good ways to do that it depends on the subject, depends on the grade level. Um, but I think that's, that's been a really big part of this, that if you just give kids at the two extremes, you know, uh, distance learning can't be that you just bring a class together, put them all on Zoom, and, um, and, and sit and talk to them all day long. That, that's not distance learning. And nor is it just giving them assignments and having them go off and work on them all by themselves. There's a balance between those two things. And you've got to figure out how to make them work together. And I think teachers are doing that as time goes on. Um, I think they've found clever ways to re-engage the disengaged students. And that's, um, that's a tricky one. And again, it depends on the situation. Uh, each individual situation is a little bit different. But, but there are some things you can do to sort of get kids who've, who've tuned out to get back into the classroom a little bit and they've worked on that. They've worked a lot about with technology, they're, they're, they're I, I've discovered much to my amazement that there are dozens of programs out there, software programs that that help you to figure out how to, things like Nearpod and other other programs that help you to get kids engaged in groups and working together in groups and exchanging information and, and get hooked together. Um, I, I guess the main thi- the main thing here is that so I I, I I mean you you should go and read these things on online I guess if you really want to read the exact examples the main thing for me is this that you know that remote learning is different it's not it's not the same as as being in a classroom if if you took a prospective teacher who had never gone to school before, never been in a classroom, been maybe homeschooled or something, or you know was brought up in a cave somewhere out in the wilderness, um, and you plop them into a classroom and you said, "Now go ahead and teach." They're not gonna. They're not gonna all automatically in that classroom in a traditional classroom setting. They wouldn't know what to do at first. They'd have to struggle. They'd have to figure it out. Maybe if they're smart, they they'd work at it, and over time, maybe in a few months or maybe even a few years, they'd get better at it and figure out what to do. Well, that's what we've done to the nation right now. Most teachers have never done very much remote teaching or any remote teaching. We plop them into this instantly. It's different than being in a classroom. It's not surprising that they they didn't succeed right at first. It's not surprising that the spring was really tough. But as time goes on, we're getting better at it. They're getting better at it. They're, they're learning how to do things. And over the months, we can all get better at doing remote learning and making it succeed, even for kids who've been disengaged. Uh, it's hard. It's not simple, but it it can get much, much better than it was before.
1: and. So much so i mean we're we, we've come a long way from th- that spring, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> where, like you said, it was kind of like Ooh, okay we, we I think we need to be forgiven for anything then because it was all coming around quickly and it's funny i i've used uh online um, connectivity like Zoom and others um, to Google meets and so forth to to talk with people for for a couple of years now, and so I was I understood it and had old hat, but I've never tried to run a class <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that way. And uh, it, it was quite interesting. Not too long ago, I, I actually had a, uh, a, a meeting that came together. You know, we're all social distancing and stuff, but it's the first time since sometime at, around February, you know, maybe beginning of March that uh, this group of educators have, gotten together. And so it was weird not seeing people in little bitty boxes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just strange thing. So it takes a lot of skills there. In this, this world, how can can teachers continue to lead and learn during these times? What do they need to be doing?
0: Yeah, mainly I, they just need to be talking to one another. The problem is I, I hate to even say, I I hate at this point to give very much advice to teachers because they're, They're having a pretty tough time right now. This is not so easy. They're already learning like crazy. The the main thing they need to do is to have the opportunity and then take advantage of the opportunity to talk with other teachers about what's going on, about what's happening. I mean, they need to be sort of, at the end of each week, for example, sort of taking stock of how things went that week and what could be done better what maybe needs to be done differently in the future, how to get kids engaged, uh, how to work. I, 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 I see that happening over and over again in classrooms, or, uh, at least the ones that I look at. Uh, I think it is getting better. I think it's getting happier, but it's, um, it's going to take time. It's, it's not all going to happen. And even, even though this fall, I think things are getting better and teachers are learning and modifying what's being done. I think it's going to take the rest of the fall, maybe the rest of the year before things really, really get, get to a point where we feel more comfortable that real learning is going on here in the classrooms.
1: Good stuff. The, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, I know, I know you've said uh, you, you, you're kind of, iffy about giving advice, but um, I'm going to ask you if you have some guide, let's, let's instead of call it guide, instead of call it advice, let's call it guidance. <laughs> All right. So, you know, what what guidance or, or words of advice, you know, do you have for teachers over the, this next school year? I mean, because here we are, we're coming into the fall. Things are kind of going a little bit better. Do you have any just thoughts that you want to say? Here's just, you know, keep that chin up or what? <laughs> i you going to get some yeah. guidance ideas?
0: Well, the chin-up idea isn't such a bad one, you know. I mean, I think, um, I, I, I think um, teachers need to be reminded that at least once a day they should step back and give themselves five or ten minutes to just think about things and, um, and relax and not be so uptight. Uh, that's, of course, easy advice to give to other people. Maybe it's tough for you to take yourself sometimes. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing I, I, I see is that, you know, good teachers all, all already sort of know know the basics of, of how real learning takes place. They sort of know that it doesn't take place just in lectures. Now I'm talking about math and science teaching mainly, but but I think all teaching is the same you don't just lecture to students. There has to be some, some aspect of active learning going on. Kids have to be working and talking and interacting with one another um, in order to learn and, uh, and exchanging ideas. So we all know that in, for in-person classrooms. The, the thing is we have to take that knowledge, that idea that, that active learning is really an integral part of learning and make sure that it's, that it's part of remote learning as well, or hybrid learning as well, you know, that, so that we need to find clever ways to get kids working together in small groups, even when they're just sitting on a screen. Uh, we need to avoid just giving them long lists of problems or long reading assignments and things, and, and assume that if they do that for three hours a day, that that's learning, there's nothing wrong with working for an hour or two on problems or nothing wrong at all with reading for a couple hours, but there ought to be some other aspect of that that's, that's active where they talk to other kids. And there are ways to get kids engaged in remote learning when they're, when they're sitting at home in their computers. Uh, I, I, there, there are ways to sort of get them active and get them talking to other students in groups. But it it takes some skill to do that sometimes takes pieces of software and that ought to be the focus of where we want to improve classrooms right now is to to find ways to replicate all the practices that we know are great for in-person learning to replicate them in some way some parallel way online with remote learning
1: gotcha so good stuff yeah john is we're getting close to finishing up uh, do you have some ideas on how we make programs like mfa accessible to teachers nationwide i mean i know you guys are based out of new york i mean what what would be the benefits of doing something like that uh you know for for teachers
0: yeah well it just so happens that um that i want to be careful i don't make a political ad here but it just so happens that as part of the um democratic platform that um, there, there is the notion of having what's being called a national science core, which is really math and science of teachers that would be modeled exactly on Math for America, but would be run fo- based in regions around the country, but it would be a national program with national standards with something like 50,000 teachers in it. Um, and uh, that's part of the democratic platform right now for the next four years. Um, we don't know what's gonna happen. So I, I don't know whether it's gonna take off, but, but whether or not it happens right away, I think the idea is beginning to percolate that, um, that this notion of focusing on really accomplished teachers, bringing them together into a community um, compensating them for the work that they do in that community. It's, we ask teachers to do a lot. It's not fair to ask them to do a lot and not compensate them in some way. But, but bring them together into communities and then give them the trust and respect that they really need to, to be the ones that are really driving the communities forward. That, that's a notion that would, would help to change the profession. It doesn't mean that every teacher in America would be part of that community but every teacher would have the opportunity to be part of you know would be have the opportunity to to apply to be part of that community and I think that it would change the way we think about teaching if we focus on on the best teachers this is a notion that um that I think in in some places is just natural I mean uh, a university, the environment that I come from, uh, would never think about, you know, a university president wouldn't come into the university and say, Well, I'm going to make this a great university by firing the bottom 5% of the faculty. Nobody focuses on the bottom 5% of the faculty, but in, in K 12 education, we do. We focus on the bottom all the time. We worry about firing the bad teachers and getting rid of them and fixing the ones that aren't good. and well, we should, we should focus on the best for a while, make them models. And I think that if nationally, we don't create such program, I think state by state, we could create such programs. And Math for America actually has a part, part of what we do is to just offer to help states to create a program that's sort of modeled on this idea. Not exactly the same as Math for America, but modeled on the basic underlying idea of focusing on excellence, focusing on the best, bringing them together, trusting them and changing the profession because of that.
1: Awesome. I love it. The uh, you know, and just as a note, I mean, it's like uh, being able to, to create those organizations. I, I you know, I, I had the good fortune of working in a, in a school when I was a teacher where um, we, they brought in, People who taught us how to collaborate, which is what's funny, um, because teaching is can be very lonely and such like that. And those those years were amazing, and uh, being able to go back and, like I said, obviously it's um, pre-COVID. Those videos and such of watching the the teachers that are part of MFA working together on different activities and such, just you know, I I think it would uh, um, be very encouraging for for teachers to be able to have access to that type of program and be able to pursue it. If, If nothing else, just to see the Um, get a chance to see the teachers that you have in in your organization uh, uh, interacting and working together. So good stuff. Uh, uh, John, if if someone wanted to connect further with you or learn more about Math for America, uh, MFA, where where would you send them?
0: Um, Well, the easiest way is uh, to just to go to our webpage, just mathforamerica.org. If you go to the about and the contact uh, in the about page. So there's an easy place to, to contact. You can send a message. Uh, the great thing about that is it ends, ends up going to the right person in the organization. So if you know if you were thinking about trying to create a program somewhere, then we have somebody who's a director of strategic initiatives who can help to, to do that. Very often those messages just go right to me. So, uh, and I'd be glad to write, to talk to people and, uh, and respond to questions about things. Uh, and also, our, our webpage has some, has some good videos, and you've referred to it several times here, so thank you for the ad. You're but welcome. Uh, but it's, it's good to watch. It's uplifting. I, I think it's time in this country to sort of think about teaching in a positive way, right, to, to hear messages that are uplifting. Our thousand teachers are just spectacular people. I, I, I don't mean spectacular teachers. They're spectacular people. They're teaching in some of the toughest environments I can imagine here. I come from the university world where I didn't have to struggle with that. Um, But I, I just, these are incredible human beings. And we need to understand that there are people like that, many of them, teaching in this country. And that they are models for the rest of us. Not just teachers. They're models for the rest of us. And um,
1: so we need to see more of that, I think. Excellent. I uh, uh, appreciate that. and I'll make sure that I have uh, the links to the website also in the show notes and uh, as well as that page. And uh, I got two questions I want to ask you here at the end. And it goes like this. The First one is when life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you, you know, that you may want to quit, how do you keep going?
0: <laughs> um, I... Just um, this is a tough question here. I um, I don't know. You you think about somebody else who has it tougher, and uh, and that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> I've had a pretty good life, great career, three different careers actually, and um, so it's 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 easy to find people that. Have struggled much more than you have, and um, and realize that it's for those of us who um, who haven't had to struggle, it's our job to sort of give back to the to the world somehow.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, and it and it is. I mean, you think about some of the stuff that we we try and do to you know just thinking about uh, it's it's a great point to think about those who um, are not doing it as well or they have something else going on so good stuff uh thanks for saying that you know the last question i have is do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life if so who was it and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you
0: ah well that's an easy one um yeah i had a i had a math teacher in my senior year actually in my junior and senior year in high school mr latino mr latino was was an incredibly talented teacher. I mean, he, um, he was funny. He walked into class every day. He was enthusiastic. He loved mathematics. Everybody could tell he loved mathematics. Uh, he was a really expert teacher. Um, but he was also, you know, not just in the subject, but he was just expert in the classroom and understanding kids and understanding how to, um, to get through to them and um and he changed my life he he was um he was the person that i always thought of when i taught myself for almost 30 years uh i always thought about him and i think he changed the way i interacted with students and um, so i've always thought that you know all the thousands of students that I taught over that time actually benefited an awful lot from Mr. Latino. I never went back to tell him how much he changed my life. And when I finally realized, as I got older, that I should, I found out that he'd passed away. Um, But he really changed things for me and I think for a a lot of my students over the years. So Teachers make a difference.
1: Most definitely. And thank you so much for sharing your personal story. I appreciate it. John, thank you so much for talking with me today. I mean, Math for America MFA is an awesome endeavor and I love the focus on the math and science teachers. Also can't say enough about that remote teaching resources page. Really um, great information there. Uh, Awesome suggestions and ideas for teaching in this remote world. Love it and thank you so much. Wishing the best in all you do.
0: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.
1: Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.